Merry Christmas, actually. Well, it, I was singing a song. Yeah. I don't know. When people say happy holidays, it's like they're trying to avoid saying Merry Christmas. No, they're just being inclusive. Okay. Because okay. Yeah. there's a lot of Jewish people in the world yeah. and anti-Semitism's on the rise. Yeah, I let's, heard that. let's Let's, let's okay. pitch them a softball. <laughs> nice. Well, we have um, done a podcast about... The shepherds and yes. why they were so significant as Jesus' first visitors. Yeah, speaking about speaking of Jewish people, not that the Magi were Jewish, but you know Jesus was. Yeah, Jesus was. But today we're gonna um, revisit a podcast that we did about the Magi last Christmas, yes. and it was equally mind blowing. Well, maybe not equally, but it was equally still really, yeah. really, really interesting. We learned some new stuff. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about the mystique of the Magi. Yeah. What do, do we, of course, I don't remember. Do we go into what the Magi, like Magi yeah. means? We do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. They were kind of like part chemist, part astrom- astronomer, part magician. Where did king come from? We three kings. Who decided they were kings? I don't know, but they were probably wrong. I mean, I think they were very elite. Yeah. And I think, I think they, they were... were part of the king's court in modern day Iraq. It would yeah. have been Babylon. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's some pretty interesting connections. Mm. Um, like, you got to wonder how they knew where to go and when to go yeah. to, to find this Jewish Messiah. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what we're going to be And uh, why they were particularly about. interested in a Jewish Messiah yeah. as well. Because, you know, they were in Asia. They had their own stuff going on. They did have their own stuff going on. And, you know, the, typically, I mean, today, as in as back then, the Iraqis and the Jews weren't like super They weren't buddies. buddies. No. 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 Okay. Well, let's let's have a listen to that episode. Yeah. Let's do it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem near Jerusalem during the reign of King Herod. After Jesus' birth, a group of spiritual priests from the east came to Jerusalem and inquired of the people, Where is the child who is born king of the Jewish people? We observed his star rising in the sky, and we've come to bow before him in worship. I have so many questions (laughs) about this. Um, the word, the word, the Passion Version, trans, uh, which is the version you just read, uh, translates as spiritual priests, and many other versions translate as wise men, mm-hmm. is magos or magos. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I'm assuming it's ma- magos, which means um, magian. Yeah. These men were a kind of oriental scientist, part magician, part philosopher, part astrologer. So we know that the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, right? The scripture tells us that. Mm-hmm. East of Jerusalem at that time was the Parthian Empire, the area which at one time had been the kingdom of Babylon, founded in 250 BC. The Parthian Empire rivaled Rome, and Israel served as sort of a buffer state <laughs> between these two competing How empires. Nice for them. I know. I can, I'm sure it was very comfortable. Um, So our modern day dictionaries define the word Magian as relating to the Magi of ancient Persia. 
The Bible first mentions the Magi in the book of Daniel. So Daniel had been taken to Babylon in 606 BC after Nebuchadnezzar's first siege of Jerusalem. He took sort of all of the uh, A-list young men. Yeah, the anyone with the potential to be an acolyte. Oh, and I don't even know what that means. It's like a an apprentice, but like a fancy apprentice. A fancy apprentice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So he was one of those, um, and eventually he was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar to rule over all the and I'm quoting wise men of Babylon. Oh. Okay. So Nebuchadnezzar had a nightmare, and. When, when that happened, he said in Daniel 4.9. This starts with a brutal name. Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, great. Uh, which was Daniel's Babylonian name. Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. <laughs> no pressure. Okay, great. So because the Magi were believed to be able to interpret dreams, the Persian king, Darius made them leaders of the state religion. So Darius um, and his empire succeeded um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. Just so you have an idea of how the 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 history flows. Yeah. So so now that these um, magi are leaders of the state religion, they remained kind of a priestly caste all the way through the Greek Empire and became very influential after the death of Alexander the Great when the empire was divided into three smaller kingdoms. And as I mentioned before, one of them was the Parthian Empire, Mm -hmm. which stretched from the northern reaches of of the Euphrates, now central eastern Turkey, to eastern Iran. And as I mentioned earlier, competed with Rome during the time of Herod. It occupied much of what we know now as Palestine. So during this time, the Magi held both priestly and governmental authority. They were sometimes called kingmakers because they had so much political influence. So they weren't kings, Mm. but they were kingmakers. It was out of this dynasty, the Magi of the Persian Empire, the wise men who followed a star came from in search of a baby who they believed was born king of the Jews. Scholars believe that throughout the centuries, these wise men studied the Hebrew scriptures, maybe as a result of Daniel's influence way back in the Babylonian era when he was head of the wise men. And if they did, it would explain how they understood the timing of the Messiah's birth and the sign that would lead him, lead them to the place that he would be born. It's also interesting that there were only three of them. Well, were there? I would no. as, as I was asking uh-huh. that I was like, were there three uh-huh. or is that a song? Uh-huh. Let's talk about how that. many did we get? We're going to get there. Um, so there's a scene recorded by Daniel when when the angel angel Gabriel appears to him while he's praying for his people, the Jews. A uh, super quick random question: mm-hmm. Do we know anything about Gabriel's rank? Because angels have a, a, sort of like a military ranking. Yeah, he's he's an archangel. There's there's I think there's three. There's Michael, there were five. Michael, Gabriel, and ooh, another one. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Whoops. We don't know your name. <laughs> uh, it's not coming to me right now. Um, so, yeah. 
It, Gabriel's a big deal. Okay. Yeah. He's a, he's a he's a head honcho. Um. So he. Are you going to read this? Um, oh yeah, I'll read that. Why don't you do that? I'll, I'll read this. I'm new here. Um. He explained to me, Daniel. I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Okay, so this passage goes on to get a little bit complicated. It talks about 70 sets of seven or 70 weeks and 62 weeks or sets of seven, predicting the timing of the coming of the Messiah. (laughs) So count. And then it says this. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise who a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple which of course we know happened 70 years AD. Mm. But um, on the website reasonsforhope.com, the author Sherry Abbott explains the use of the term sets of seven. Many translations use the word weeks instead of sets of seven, but Israel understood week to mean seven. Just as we would say three dozen equals 36, a dozen meaning 12, or seven decades equals 70 years, decade meaning 10, the Jews understood 70 weeks to mean 70 sevens, or 70 times 7, which equals 490. That 490 is the number of years until the Messiah would come and accomplish what is outlined in Daniel 9, it's like, 24. It's like a clue in an escape room. Kind of, kind <laughs> of. My brain. Kind of. Okay, so read that next verse, uh, Daniel 9, 24. Okay. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Okay, so then Gabriel went on to announce when the beginning of these 70 weeks would occur, which had to do with the rebuilding of the temple. So this set a clear time frame for future events, including Jesus' death. The 77s begins with the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that was issued by Artaxerxes in 445 BC. We know that from Nehemiah 2.5. With that starting date, the 69 weeks takes us to the date of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. If the scholars are looking at this right, the date of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and his death on the cross can be determined precisely mm. by the words Gabriel spoke to Daniel. Okay, so again, I and you may not know this, but so Jesus knew the scripture. This would have been in the Torah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's sorry. The Torah are the are the first five books oh, okay. of the Testament. Most of this are in the prophets. Okay. Yeah, okay, Micah so particularly. Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't have access to what? Oh uh, yeah, Daniel he would wrote. have had the law and the prophets. Okay, great. So Jesus would have known this. Probably would have studied it because he did go full rabbi, um, not like officially, but like low key. Um, he may, he may he, have known this. It may have yeah. only been the real. You know, the real wise man types who yeah. knew this. Yeah, but, I wonder, yeah, I'm it, just, I'm wondering if he knew, like, obviously he knew when it was going to happen, probably, but well, I wonder if he's like, okay, we're on day, like, 
580. Well, he did say things to his disciples like, my time hasn't come yet, or it's time, you know? Yeah. So, so he, he did have a he sense He knew of one way or another. That's, yeah. That's so there are a few other um, things that enter into this whole timeline here. Um, you know, the, the wise men could have easily counted forward and determined the time when the Messiah would be killed. They could also have known from the Hebrew scriptures that service as a priest started at the age of 30, mm. and that God promised he would rise up a, raise up a special priest. That's in the book of 1 Samuel. They could have determined the Messiah would have to be more than 30 years old at, at his death, and they could have counted backward 30-plus years from the date of the Messiah's death and determined the approximate time of his birth. <laughs> I mean, it's way too much math for me. I get how you're overwhelmed. But studying ancient writings and the stars was what these guys did. I mean, <laughs> they were wise men, after yeah, all. They were scientists, basically. Yeah. But also Mysterious. prophecy scientists. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um, so when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem and started sniffing around for someone born king of the Jews, Herod who was so paranoid and protective mm -hmm. of his kingdom that he had his own sons murdered, he went ballistic. Almost literally, if guns had been a thing, yeah, he and, would have been shooting. And remember that the wise men are known as kingmakers, yep. right? So he's pretty freaked out that, you know, he's he considers himself to be king of the Jews. And he knew that no heir to his title had been born in his house recently. The wise men had also said that they had seen his star in the east and they had come to worship him, like they used the word worship. Mm -hmm. So in spite of the, Christ the Christmas song, We Three Kings, and all those images on Christmas cards of three guys on camels, um, no one actually knows how many of them made the trek to worship the baby Jesus. The idea behind the three comes from the fact that only three gifts are recorded as having been presented to Jesus. But from historical information, it was likely a whole cavalry of men. And on horseback, not camels. That would be so much faster. <laughs> and so you can imagine this whole, this whole cavalry of men riding into Jerusalem. No wonder Herod was intimidated. You would think they'd be smart enough not to go to the king and be like, hey, where's the new guy? Well, yeah, I mean... What were you doing, boys? I, there really wasn't any prophecy about what a head case Herod was. So I guess, but you'd think they'd have heard about the, the. But you would also think sunicide. Yeah, well, true. Yeah, interesting. Hadn't thought of that. Weird, weird little gap. Yeah, weird little gap. Okay. Um. Yeah. So obvious, but obviously, either way, like Herod took them seriously. Yeah, that's that's kind of amazing. He he called upon the chief priests and scribes and demanded that they tell him where the Christ would be born. And it, I think it's really interesting that Herod obviously respected or expected the Jewish scriptures to answer his question, mm. even though he was at best a secular Jew. So by what you even, mean, like, well, ethnically Jewish, but not. I, I don't even know Jew? he was 100% ethnically Jewish. Uh, okay. And he was not a not, not, a practicing not a practicing Jew. No, Jew. no. So the priest and scribe gave Herod the answer. And they, uh, you, do you want to read that sure. from Matthew 2? Yeah. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, quoted from Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come for you, who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Herod was so convinced the wise men knew what they were talking about that he started plotting to kill the baby king. I, I can't get over that. You know, knowing that his birth was divinely prophesied, this guy was arrogant enough to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with God. I mean, like, but if you have everything and you're like, okay, but it's a baby. It seems pretty easy to stamp the prophecy out. Uh, I, I would expect he hadn't gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with God previously. Well, it just, like, I just can't get over the arrogance that mm. he obviously believed that this was God's son, mm. this, this was God's anointed, and yet he was willing to... Yeah, yeah I'm going to challenge that a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, you could make the argument that, I mean, maybe he believed it was God's son, but you could also make the argument that he believed whatever kid they found, wherever it was, people were going to rally around and that would cause enough unrest to potentially unseat him. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, who knows what he was Yeah, thinking. yeah. Whether he thought it was true or not, he right. saw a threat to his, his rule. He did. Yeah, which, fair. It was uh, I just that. think it's interesting that he went to the Jewish scriptures to find out. Yeah, that's fair. You know? But that's where they would be going. That's yeah. where the Magi would be yeah. going, yeah. presumably. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, when the wise men, wisely, <laughs> didn't obey Finally. Herod's request to tell him where they found Jesus, because God had warned them in a dream, Herod escalated his jealousy to the point of murdering all Bethlehem's male children, two years old and younger, just to cover his bases. Like, the guy was unhinged. Yeah. 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 The wise men knew the same scriptures that Herod's experts knew, including this one, which explained what they saw in the sky. Um, in, in Numbers... 24, Moses wrote, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will mm -hmm. rise from Jacob. Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. Hmm. Now, we know that the Magi were educated in astronomy, and when they recognized what they called his star, they did their Christmas shopping, packed up and set out to follow it to Jerusalem and eventually to the Christ child. But the evidence of their watching for his star traveling to Jerusalem to seek the king of the Jews and desiring to worship him, we know that the wise men believed in the God of Israel and they believed his word as written by the prophets. What's so amazing about this is how God made it possible for anyone who's truly searching to find him. Mm -hmm. And choosing non-Jews to not only do the work of learning about him, but then to take on the long journey to find him drew the attention of others to him. And it continues to do that today. I hope that knowing the intentionality of God in revealing shards of light from heaven in the scriptures and the intentionality, <coughs> oh, pardon me, <clears throat> the intentionality of the wise men in finding him boosts your faith and motivates you, as it does me, to be more intentional about finding Jesus in the commotion of Christmas. And that's hard. Our our family, we're blessed to have a big extended family. So with a, a lot of relatives, I guess, comes 
a lot of people to see at Christmas time. And that is so wonderful and so exhausting, particularly like I'm, I mean, I'm the most introverted person in our family for sure. Um, more introverted than you, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Oh, in and, our family. I was thinking extended oh, family. Well, Spencer. Well, I, um, yeah, maybe. I'm just louder mm. than Spencer. But either way, um, that's a lot. And, like, it's a lot for the extroverts in our immediate family. Yeah. I mean, we see so many people that by Boxing Day, you know, we always there's always one relative that calls to see if we want to come over. And, I just want to crawl into and, a hole and, and, and never and see anyone ever like again. yelling into the phone, no! I love you leave me alone um and and that's like we're complaining but that's such a wonderful it's a wonderful problem problem to have have. yeah because we are we have a lot of support but it is like i remember every christmas day until i was like 13 being just exhausting yeah we did so much we would start with new year's eve brunch at no uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve brunch. Help. We'd start a whole year early. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Christmas Eve brunch in the morning. Um, and then usually Kendall and I, or just me, would be in the... Or sometimes dad. Sometimes dad. Sometimes <clears throat> all three of us. Um, Even me once in a while. Yeah, sometimes you too. Um, sometimes we were in the Christmas Eve service <clears throat> and we go to a big church that does a whole whack of them. So pretty much straight from brunch, we'd go <clears throat> to rehearsal for those. Um, and then be there until like seven or eight where we'd be doing those. Then we'd go do, um, Christmas with the Swiss German side of the family because German tradition is you do your gifts on Christmas Eve. Eve. And so we would do that and we'd be there quite late. And to be fair, like everyone on that side of the family, all like all the men were pastors, so we couldn't get that started until Christmas Eve services were, were done anyway. Right. Um, and then next morning, we would open just our immediate family gifts relatively early because then we had to go out to the Bradlands, which is the name we have for um, Uncle Brad's, Uncle Brad's acreage. acreage, which is um, in the <clears throat> middle of nowhere. And we'd go out there and then do gifts with the rest of family. And then by the time we'd get out of there, we'd have five minutes to drop stuff off. And then we'd go for Christmas dinner at um, your mom's house. Yeah. And that was the actual marathon of events. Uh, And I love all those people and I loved all those things. But I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's it's gotten a little bit complicated now that there's another generation of little people and the family's just getting too big to all get together in one space yeah and we see each other with more frequency than a lot of families so yeah Yeah. anyway uh so yeah i i I know what you're saying um it's you know it is tough to be super intentional and aware and and like, I don't, even now, I don't really remember the last time I, last Christmas I chose to, like, take a step back and just, like, ponder mm. Christ. Well, let's talk about some ways that we can do that yeah. um, as individuals, but also how we can, you know, bring the real meaning of Christmas into the ways that we celebrate with our families. Mm-hmm. Um, a one way would be an advent calendar or wreath. Yeah, we did an we did both actually mm-hmm. when I was a kid. 
don't remember the wreath, but it I was a plastic remember. one, but it had a red bow on it and oh. lights, and eventually you put berries in there, plastic berries in there, as you so often do. <laughs> um, but I, I'm talking about an uh, like an advent calendar where there's sort of a little reading for mm-hmm. every day of the month. Mm-hmm. We we also had an uh, advent calendar that was sort of a yeah not not a calendar a, a candle. Remember yeah, that? yeah, we had an advent cam- candle. We used to do like family devotions at dinner. Yeah. So that yeah. was usually part of that. Yeah. Man, that memory was buried deep. Goodness. Oh. Huh. Yeah. So long ago. Yeah. <laughs> um one of the things that we can do is explain some of the incredible theology in mm-hmm. Christmas carols to kids. You know, you hear little kids talking about, you know, round round john virgin <laughs> yeah which you know? hearing children i remember ask that's where i heard the word virgin for the first time i distinctly mm-hmm. remember asking what virgin meant and dad told me and i was like oh why is that in a christmas song? i don't feel like that's something i needed to know about mary <laughs> i don't feel like i didn't understand the significance right, of it right but i was like ew what Leave the poor girl alone. <laughs> I just think, you know, that some of the Christmas carols have beautiful words and incredibly meaningful theology. Yeah. You know, I think of um, some of the words in Oh Holy Night, you know, it talks about um, chains shall we break for the slave is our brother mm-hmm. and in his name all oppression shall cease. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was written during slavery. Yeah. Um, I think about... Um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that talks about how, you know, Jesus was veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. I mean, those are powerful, Mm -hmm. powerful uh, words that need to be explained to children so that um, as they're singing these Christmas carols, they're they're absorbing the wonder of what they describe and not just, you know, doing a rote exercise. And then um, read the Christmas story. That's sort of obvious, but maybe read it in a version you haven't read it in before. Mm-hmm. Try the voice or the passion translation or the message or something that's that's new and fresh. Or even something like the Huron Carol. Um, you know, that's that's not, it doesn't have like the scriptural mm-hmm. right? depth, but it's a different telling of the story. Mm. That just kind of challenges your perception. Mm-hmm. Well, and last year we used the First Nations version, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which which brought a beautiful perspective as well. Um, watch movies about the Christmas story, about the nativity, and then talk about them with your families. Mm-hmm. So, like, what did Hollywood get right on this movie, and what what? What's not quite right? Well, yeah. let's check it out. I mean, the Christmas story is in Matthew and Luke. Mm-hmm. Let's let's check the movie with you know. Um, against scripture movies are also an excellent opportunity to highlight that jesus wasn't white which i think is really important for Mm -hmm. children um particularly white children yeah who i mean society hopefully is getting better all the time but it's so easy to other people who don't look like you and in in christian families saved families I think it's really important to recognize that Jesus didn't look like a white person. No, he did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> no. And also, his, he was a refugee when he was born mm. because his family was hiding in Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. They ran away to Egypt. Not so, when he was born, but shortly after. Shortly after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Um, 
like pretty much immediately after, uh, which what a nightmare that would be. So I think it's important for us to recognize that like Jesus was Jewish and Middle Eastern and like yeah. not blonde. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's all kinds of sort of fact checking that we can do um, watching a movie and then talking about it as a family and mm -hmm. and going to scripture to compare the accounts. Um, yeah. So I just uh, I think that we can use the example of the wise men mm -hmm. who were willing to look so hard for Jesus. Yeah. To just remind us to be more intentional about finding him in, in, the, in the chaos and look for him as well. Yeah. That is it for us today on Grow On The Go. I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter. Thanks for listening to Grow On The Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.